0: Welcome back to a second Welcome round recap to- of down to the wire. Uh, again, alongside my NHL analyst, Nolan Thode. Nolan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty good. You know, got a nice little belly. I had some uh, nice little lunch with uh, another friend of ours. And, uh, you know, it's nice uh, that the players are back open. Seems like things are, you know, we're on the right track once again.
0: Well, before we get right to the second round, uh, we still have a first-round series to recap. The Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs, as we remembered a couple weeks ago, they played their Game 7 on the day that we recorded on Monday and we couldn't unfortunately cover it. But yeah, so simply uh, Montreal, as we all know, completed the 3-1 comeback. Uh, the Leafs somehow still don't have that killer instinct uh, even after being up 3-1 in the series or even, you know, being up 3-2 in a series against Boston a couple years ago. Um, and, you know, from what I was seeing, like Montreal seemed defeated after game four. Uh, you know, yeah. I thought, I, I counted I, them I, out. I, I didn't count them I, winning uh, game five and. Five so on and so forth and it seems as though that Toronto did get out coached by Dominic Ducharme who's an interim uh interim head coach doesn't really have the main head coach tag next to him and you know it's as we reflect back on this first round series uh it's crazy how much Montreal scratched Cole Caulfield and Jesperi Kock and Yemi, uh the first two games of the series and then you know the Leafs the story all along for the Leafs was that their best players didn't play like themselves. And obviously the Tavares injury made a difference, but even without Tavares in the lineup, Toronto still dominated. They got, they literally got three wins without John Tavares, their captain in the lineup. It was game one when he got injured that the Habs won. So, you know, it's just so weird how this all ended up.
1: No, exactly. And I think, you know, you look at the Tavares injury and sure, you know, Toronto's not the same team without their captain, but, you know, they lost that game one and it seemed, you know, after the Tavares injury that, you know, the the bench, the just the general morale of the Leafs, they were kind of out of it. And, you know, okay, fair enough. Let Montreal win that game one. But the, the Leafs team that we saw in games uh, two, three, and four, that was a solid team. You know, that's the Leafs team that, you know, we've seen all season, the best team in the North Division. Like, this was... This was a Leafs team that was expected to, you know, at least win a series. It's it's crazy to think that they weren't even able to do that.
0: I agree. And, you know, this was one of the like historical seasons for the Leafs. You know, we had Jack Campbell breaking the NHL record for most consecutive wins to start out a season with 11. And, you know, Jack Campbell played better than Carey Price. So, you know, when you say that and you see that the final result of the series was that Campbell's team didn't win, it's so confusing. And Toronto just up and down the lineup, you know, they were better. But it's almost like the pieces that were added before the season, like the Spezza's, uh, you know, Thorne and Simmons didn't really do much, but it was mainly Spezza. And that's a problem when someone who's 37 years old is leading your team in points. Usually when you have a 37 year old on your team he's there to provide secondary scoring not primary scoring.
1: No exactly and pretty much you look at this Leafs team and you know as, as long as they have you know the Tavares, Marner, Matthews and Nylander contracts under their books this is going to be the construction of these teams they're going to have a lot of money tied up to their big guys and their depth pieces are going to have to be you know veterans coming in and taking you know pay cuts to play for this team and you know you look back at the series and we've gotten, you know, a couple of weeks to just kind of reflect on it. And I feel like people have really forgotten, not only were the Leafs up 3-1 in the series, however, in games five, you know, they came back from 3-0 down, forced overtime, couldn't capitalize. And then in game six, they were down 2-0 down and forced overtime. You know, the Leafs had a lot more opportunities than people give them credit to, you know, close out this series. And, you know, for Montreal, you know, Carey Price had to play the way that he did. And, you know, he, he was able to, you know, pretty much get a shutout in that game seven. You know, Nylander scored late, just a little bit of a pity goal. But, you know, Kerry Price, you know, put the team on his back. And, you know, the scoring wasn't there uh, the first four games. You know, they only had four goals in the first four games. And I remember people were just saying, you know, this Can- Canadians team can't keep up with the Leafs. You know, they're going to have to win these games, you know, one nothing, 2-1 if they want to win. But, you know, they were able to find their scoring in, you know, in those games where they were able to come back and, you know, it resulted in them being able to, you know, embarrass the Leafs.
0: Yeah. And it seems like the theme of the story for the Montreal Canadiens is, you know, is basically Carey Price and how he has been tasked to steal multiple games when the offense isn't there. And when you have the a player playing at the caliber that he is right now, really the shot to win the Stanley Cup seems to be as greater as the series goes on. And this could be Kerry Price's last chance to win a Stanley Cup because of the way Montreal is built and because of what I think the future is going to hold for them.
1: Exactly. You know, they have to take advantage of the opportunity being in the Final Four with Kerry Price. They don't know if he has another run like this left in him. And, you know, people wouldn't have even expected it this year. You know, Kerry Price is a great goalie, but there was controversy in the middle of the season whether or not he was the same Kerry Price we know. And, you know, some people gave up on him. I'm, I know you and I both didn't. And I think... You know, the fact that he pretty much went a month without playing a game in the NHL up into these playoffs and came into game one and played seven amazing games like he didn't miss a beat. I think, you know, all credit due to him and, you know, say what you want about how much he makes. But, you know, it's series like this and games like that, you know, that make, you know, Carey Price a $10.5 million player in my eyes.
0: I agree, and let's move on to the North Division second round: the Montreal Canadiens up against the Winnipeg Jets. And you know, the Winnipeg Jets they sweep the Edmonton Oilers, and then they they get swept. Uh, Montreal wins four nothing. And in game one, the you know my buddy Declan was saying that if you mention the shifley hit, everyone knows what's going to happen. What's you know he has been hit. Like, you know, he did get bulldozed a couple of times in his career, but when you say, okay, what did you, what'd you think, what's your opinion on the Shifley hit? Well, everyone knows that we're talking about the Jake Evans injury. And I think it was dirty. And I think that he deserved the four out of the five game suspension. And, you know, I think we need to put this into context that, you know, he was assessed for charging. And as the rule states, there's no gliding uh, in the rule. The rule states that, you know, the two key words are distance traveled to violently check an opposing player, whether it's an open ice up against the boards or um, uh, there's, there's another term that I'm forgetting, but either way, he wasn't uh, assessed for a legal check to the head. It was charging and by rule, you know, Shifley built up the speed to he, you know, he had a lot of distance traveled 150 or 200 feet away from the opposing player, and he violently checked him. Uh, you know, I think that uh, Shifley is not a dirty player. This was just, uh, you know, like I don't think this incident should tarnish his whole career. No. He is one of the more respectable players in the league. Um, and f- funny enough, the Winnipeg Jets. I uh, didn't put out a statement regarding Jake Evans' health, whereas the Montreal Canadiens did for John Tavares. So there's just something uh, to consider there. And, uh, you know, it, it's crazy that, because um, that was Jake Evans' first Stanley Cup playoff goal, and it was on his birthday, but um, that's for another day. And, and I just didn't like the hit whatsoever. I want to get your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you look at the hit and definitely the, the severity around it, you know, Jake Evans getting hurt and it, it maybe it was just a little unnecessary, you know. It was late game and Jake Evans was sort of tucking away an empty netter. And I, I think the big thing for me when I look at the suspension is, you know, Shifley was probably in a position to make a play on the puck and prevent Jake Evans from wrapping that goal around. But instead, he just kind of went for the big hit. Uh, he probably in his own head had written the game off and was just sort of trying to get a momentum boost for his team. Uh, But it ended up doing the opposite. And like you mentioned, you know, the Montreal Canadiens pretty much just took the series from here on out. The Jets, you know, without Mark Shifley, two years in a row, it's been the story of their team. You know, they looked terrible against uh, uh, Calgary last year in the play-in once uh, Shifley got injured. And now, you know, he's being suspended. Uh, You look at this uh, suspension and you look at the Cadre suspension and you just got to figure that, you know, these are the things that, you know, maybe there's a little bit of less calls in the playoffs. You know, the refs let a little more happen. However, with the major stuff like this and with the cad- cadre injury uh, or with the cadre suspension, you know, maybe these aren't four to eight game suspensions in the regular season. However, in the playoffs, it's just, you know, there's there's no room for this type of this type of behavior, in, in my opinion.
0: I agree. And I think the Mark Strifley hole was too big to fill for uh, the Winnipeg Jets. You know, he's their leading scorer. And, you know, when you have that, when you don't have that available to you, he brings a lot to the team. And, you know, you, now you're trying to score as a committee. And I just don't think that was in the Winnipeg Jets, uh, you know, plans. But I think with Connor Hellebach, we have to mention him as well. He played a phenomenal series. He was dialed in every night, you know, giving his team a chance to win. I mean, in game two, the final score was one nothing, And it was a shorthanded goal that got Montreal the win. Rarely do we see a one nothing playoff win. Rarely do we see the goal scored shorthanded. And I think from my, my calculations, the Montreal's penalty kill outscored the Jets' power play. I mean, that's a stat? That's obviously not good. And obviously, I think the Jets' power play success does come from the absent or, you know, power play uh, dismissal, I should say, or, you know, failures. That does come from the absence of Mark Scheifele. And, uh, you know, when you're facing a hot goalie like Carey Price, you know, let's think back to the 2019 Blues. They have Jordan Bennington. Let's think back to, you know, the 2012 Kings. They had Jonathan Quick and the 2013 Blackhawks had Corey Crawford. Those are just examples of teams that had hot goalies, you know, going into the playoffs and then making an insane run.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, back to the point where you talk about the Jets and after Shifley went down, it just seemed no one was able to fill that hole. You know, you look at Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, they brought him in earlier in the season and a lot of people were excited about him because, you know, in Columbus, he seemed to have his game figured out. And, you know, he was a top six forward. People thought him and, you know, uh, Shifley were going to be the top two centers in Winnipeg. But, you know, since coming to Winnipeg, sure, he's had flashes, you know. He's had games, but consistency wise, you know, Pierre Lucoubois has just not been the same player. And in this series, especially, you know, he just wasn't able to step up uh, when the team needed him to uh, against, you know, a Montreal team. You know, he, he's from Quebec. So you figure, you know, maybe he was able to rally some of that, but, you know, he, he just. Didn't play a great series, and he admitted it. I, I remember seeing a post, like a post series presser, and he was just talking about, you know, he's not going to make any excuses uh, because one of the reporters was asking him if he was playing through injury in the series, and he denied it. He said, "I wasn't playing through injury. I just, you know, wasn't 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 good."
0: Let's move on to the West division uh playoff series there with the vegas golden knights and the colorado avalanche vegas would go on to beat colorado in six games four to two and personally i look at this avalanche team and you know i see that they're dominant from the offense to the defensive part and then you know you had the vesna trophy nominee and philip grubauer so given that I thought the Stanley Cup this year was Colorado's to lose. However, I do believe that the winner of this Vegas and Colorado series is going to go on to win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, both teams are deep. This series did not disappoint. It was exciting throughout. But in game six is really where Colorado fell apart. You know, their defensive game wasn't strong. They kept turning over the puck to Vegas. Uh, and, you know, Vegas would capitalize. And, you know, Vegas would always be up one nothing. Then it was 1-1. Two one and so on and so forth until they won the game. And when you're always playing behind in a game six in an elimination game, it's hard to muster any energy. You know, it's so hard playing from behind the entirety of the game. Uh, and, you know, throughout the series, I thought that the power play was a struggle for the avalanche. Uh, you know, they didn't convert on the majority of their opportunities and really, you know, Nate McKinnon has to be headlined here. I think he only had what, like zero points in the last three games of the series. I'm not sure if you got a point in game six, but, you know, when you aren't performing up to, you know, he got nominated for the heart, I believe. When you're yep. not, not when you're not performing up to heart standards in the playoffs,
1: that's crazy. No, exactly. Uh, I, I mean, especially after this game, the game one of this series, you know, it was, I think, 7-1, seven, 7-1. Seven, yeah, 7-1. Yeah. It was just a complete blowout. And at that point, you know, people really looked at this Colorado team like, you know, there was no way they were going to lose. Could they even sweep the playoffs? And then, you know, they won a little bit of a closer game too. But, you know, as soon as the series went back to Vegas, you know, uh, they were able to, you know, win that game three and it was crucial. You know, if they lose that game, the series is completely different. Obviously, I think Colorado wins if they go up 3-0. But, you know, Vegas wins a close uh, game three where they score two goals late um, to win it. And all of a sudden it's a series. And, you know, they were able to rally off of that. And, you know, like you mentioned in game six with, Colorado playing from behind uh I think you know a lot of their mistakes in that game six come from that you know when when you're playing from behind you know everyone tries to be the hero a little bit the desperation starts to come out especially in in an elimination game on the road and you know they were kind of just exposed in that element and you know Philip Grubauer who was phenomenal against the Blues and good in the early series you know uh kind of kind of you know, wore out as the series went on and Vegas seemed to be able to figure him out. Uh, And, you know, credit to Vegas, they're a phenomenally built team. And I just think, you know, maybe they don't win the cup, but, you know, Vegas has a real, real shot. And especially after beating the President's Trophy Colorado Avalanche, you know, I think Vegas, you know, should be the favorite in a lot of people's eyes.
0: It's funny because last year in the bubble playoffs, we had Alan Walsh, uh released a photo of Marc-Andre Fleury getting backstabbed with the coach's name on the sword when Robin Leonard was taking the majority of the starts. And Vegas did okay. Uh, they didn't obviously win the cup, um, but they didn't make the finals. And, you know, it's weird to put that into perspective now because Marc-Andre Fleury is leaned on as the starter. And when Robin Leonard got game one... Uh, because I I think Robin Leonard got game one simply because of rest and fatigue. And, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, 36 years old. uh, Robin Leonard's younger. So you go with Robin Leonard in game one. That's fine with me because you're playing on short days of rest. And then you lose 7-1. And next thing you know, you go with Fleury. You know, you lose a tight game Two, but then you sweep the rest of the series. Sweep. You win four straight uh, with Fleury in the net. So there's just some perspective to add to that series.
1: Yeah. And, you know, especially after that backstabbing photo last year, who would have thought that, you know, uh, one year later, you know, Flurry would be having another great playoff run and leading Vegas to potentially, you know, another Stanley Cup final? Um, you know, with two elite goalies, Vegas has the option to, you know, roll with whoever's hot. And, you know, I agree with you. I think that game one was simply because of rest. You know, they came off of a seven game series where Flurry was just incredible against Minnesota. And, you know, Leonard just was was not ready for the playoff action and it was a quick decision to go back to Fleury and the right one and I don't think they'll be turning back to Leonard anytime soon. Let's move on to the
0: East Division playoffs with the New York Islanders and the Boston Bruins. New York won 4-2 to two. and the Islanders right now are playing some of their top tier defense. Barry Trotz, ever since leaving Washington, has five playoff series wins or something like that. Um, that could be Lou Lamorello's stat. I'm not too sure. Um, but you know, I think Washington really messed up there and not keeping Barry Trotz because now we're seeing just how well New York, uh, you know, is playing right now. And you mentioned uh, last weekend or, or, you know, a couple of weeks ago in the first round series recap that people should be taking the Islanders seriously. This is no team to push over and say, all right, we're beating them in five, we're beating them in four. They're really, you know, sure they play a really boring game, but it works. And as long as it works, they're going to continue with that. Uh, you know, and Rask, For the Bruins, you know, he was playing injured. Uh, The last two games really affected uh, Boston's ability to win. And, you know, I thought the Bruins should have started Swayman in game six because when you're throwing an injured goalie out there, you're basically surrendering. You aren't giving your team the best option to win. And Swayman was playing phenomenal down the stretch. And, you know, he played, I think, 10 games this year. Uh, handful of games and it's and it came at a point where teams were still competing for playoff spots so it's not as though they were resting players or anything like that mm-hmm. and you know with Brask and his contract situation he's a UFA uh you know right now I guess we could say so does Boston bring him back you know there have been rumors saying that you know dating back to last season or you know, last offseason will he retire And if Boston doesn't bring him back, maybe they get Freddie Anderson, and maybe they match up against the Leafs in round one, and next thing you know, Anderson beats the Leafs.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, there's so many hypotheticals you can draw from this year's uh, UFA goalie class. Uh, Yeah, I think Rask, you know, just not being healthy is... is a complete X factor, you know, when the Bruins have been able to make their cup runs, you know, uh, you know, obviously they won with Tim Thomas in 2011, but in 2013 and 2019, Rask was probably the best player on the Bruins. You know, maybe you could say David Krejci in 2013 had a great run, but you know, when he's playing at an elite level, you know, this is a really hard Bruins team to beat. And, you know, it was a two, two series, you know, it, it was at a point where, you know, Boston had an opportunity, but like you mentioned in that, in those last two games, you know, I think you know his injury was really apparent. He he ended up getting pulled in game game number five, uh, and yeah, the Islanders' offense just sort of had their way. Uh, you know, d- going back to the point you make about Barry Trotz and you know Washington. I think you know Barry Trotz. You know he everyone's known him to be a great coach. However, when he was in Washington, people didn't give him as much credit as he deserved because there was the Ovechkins, the Backstrom, the Carlsons, you know, back when Holtby was an elite goalie, you know. People thought that that Washington team was so successful just because, you know, they were a really great team. However, you look at them, you know, without Barry Trotz and, you know, they're they're not as dangerous as they, they that they used to be. And, you know, with this Islanders team, you know, they lose Tavares in the 2017 offseason. And you'd think that, you know, they go into a rebuild. However, you know, the Leafs have zero playoff series wins since the signing and the Islanders have five. You know, like you mentioned, it's, it's just kind of crazy that that, that that happened. And I think the Islanders, you know, it's about time. You know, you have five playoff series wins within the last three years, you know, two semifinal appearances. They took Tampa to seven last year. You know, Dallas only took Tampa to six. Uh, so this Islanders team, you know, they're a real threat. And I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple months we're talking about them winning the cup this year.
0: To further on to your points there, you know, I think one line that's really been clicking for the Islanders has been the Bovillier, Nelson, and Bailey line. That line has seemed to be, you know, controlling pace of play whenever they're in the O zone. They're uh, always controlling play in the neutral zone. They're doing really good defensive job, right? Probably Barry Trotz has been instilling that in their minds. Um, but yeah, I think that line has been super dangerous for New York. And, you know, they have that you know, I guess depth, right? We talk about Kyle Mary, who at the trade de- or, you know, was a trade deadline acquisition. Didn't really seem to pan out, but as we see with the playoffs, he's become a threat to score Travis Zajac again, acquired at the deadline. He scored the opening goal in game six for the Islanders that really opened up the floodgates for them. So they have, you know, really good scoring threats on the offense there. And then you look at the defense. I mean, Scott Mayfield's been playing good. Adam Pellick's been playing good. Um, you know, and then we look at Ilya Sorokin or do you go with Semyon Varlamov? Like I could see this, you know, New York and Tampa series being really good.
1: Mm-hmm. No, exactly. I think it's going to be a great series as well. And, you know, like you mentioned with the uh, the Bailey, uh, Nelson and Bovillier line, you know, this Islanders team, I feel like the reason that they get looked over is because, you know, the casual fan will look at this team on paper and, you know, there's no McKinnon or McDavid or Matthews on this team. Uh, but, you know, they, they all play together very well. And, you know, they're just well built. I think, you know, the lines that they have, you know, they mesh well, you know, the chemistry is definitely there on this Islanders team and, you know, maybe they don't have it in them this year, but you know, they're missing their captain Anders Lee, who's typically the left wing playing with Barzell and Eberle. And that's probably been their, worst line of the playoffs you know barzell and eberle they've had a couple of good games but you know from what we're used to seeing from them it's is definitely not the same and it's the depth of this team that's carrying them you know pageau leading them in points uh and just you know everyone's chipping in and, and in small ways and you know it, it adds up and this islanders team is you know able to find themselves playing tampa
0: one thing that I guess we should finally mention is the fans at the Coliseum. I mean, they are always rocking. They're yeah. chanting, you know, they want Bailey to score. Uh, he only has one goal at home, I think, uh, this entire playoff run. Uh, I was checking his stats just as to see why they were chanting Bailey and why they were wanting him to score. But the you know Coliseum, Nassau Coliseum, has been rocking this entire playoff run. It's been so fun to see fans back in the stands.
1: No, absolutely. And, you know, as much as the game, you know, the fans, you know, they're not on the ice playing the game. If the Islanders are at Barclays Center, are they in the conference finals? You know what I mean? I feel like these home games for them when they're able to go back there, play in front of their passionate fans, you know, it's just such an energy and it gives them such an upper hand over the opposing team.
0: And yeah, you know, I think we're finally, you know, witnessing how fans can contribute like with, this in the bubble last season, we didn't, you know, it was so boring. Like, you know, the viewing experience is just entirely different.
1: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, now that we're, you know, in the final four, there's been speculation all season about what's going to happen, but luckily all four teams that are, you know, left in it are having some, some sorts of fans in the crowd. And, you know, it's nice. And, you know, for three of the teams, it's near full capacity. And then, and then, you know, with the Montreal Canadians, obviously in Canada, there's not much you can do, but, you know, it's just really nice to see these meaningful games, you know, being able to, you know, almost sell out and, you know, just, just, having these fans in there, just, you know, the energy that they bring just adds so much more to the game. Let's
0: move on to our last series of our second round recap, the Tampa Bay Lightning going up against the Carolina Hurricanes and Tampa Bay basically had their way. Uh, you know, they beat the Canes in five. The Canes really didn't stand much of a chance as Tampa controlled, you know, most of the scoring and, you know, and obviously, you know, the games were low scoring, which showed that Tampa can play really good defense and it sucks for Carolina because, you know, Nedeljkovic was playing, you know, phenomenal up until this point. And, you know, I, he's not at the stage of his career where you can rely on him to, you know, win games. He was a rookie this year. And, you know, when he did get the counter nomination on the same day, he was showed the bench. So, you know, it, it sucks to see that Carolina can muster couldn't muster up any offense. And, you know, when you're going up against Andre Vasilevsky, arguably the best goalie in the world right now, uh, it's going to be hard to win games.
1: No, I agree. And this Tampa team is just like, you know, super well built. I think everyone knows that. They won the cup last year, and a big part of it was because of their depth. You know, when they won the President's Trophy a couple of years ago and got swept by Columbus, it was because they relied way too much on their top guys. And, you know, now they're in a position where, yeah, their top guys are going to show up and, you know, score the big goals when they need to. But, you know, there's there's a lot of hockey where your top guys aren't out on the ice. And Tampa Bay has been able to, you know, figure it out. Maybe, you know, finding a little bit of a loophole in the salary cap. But, you know, they're able to ice this really solid team. And with Carolina, I think, you know, the future is bright. You know, they have the goalie of the future now with Njelkovic. Uh, and, you know, lots of great pieces. But, you know... With with the roster that they have, you would have expected them to steamroll the Predators in that first round. However, it was a bit of a close series. And, you know, then they go in to play Tampa and maybe a little bit shaky. Tampa is able to steal both games in Carolina. And I think, you know, it's really hard to come back from a series when you lose, you know, the first two games at home. And Carolina just, you know, wasn't able to ever have the upper hand in this series.
0: Now, I'm not sure, you probably saw this odd stat, but apparently Andre Vasilevsky has three shutouts and, and, you know, they're all in, like, a series uh, clinching games, which is yeah. kind of crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the last three series, you know, that the Tampa Bay Lightning have won this year, Game 5 against Carolina, uh, the first round against... Uh, Uh, against the Panthers, and then in the Stanley Cup final, Vasilevsky has had a shutout in those games that they've won. And, you know, when you think of Tampa, obviously, you know, you can't discredit Andre Vasilevsky, but, you know, this is a different team without Andre Vasilevsky, I believe, you know, him being an elite goalie, you know, helps them so much when, when he's in net, they play so much better, you know, in the games where Curtis McElhinney plays in the regular season, you know, it's a different Tampa team, but you know, when Vaz is in there, the players are just confident that he's going to make those saves and it allows them, it allows the ice to open up a little bit more and for them to, you know, make these plays and, you know, they, they just have a lot of success. Well,
0: let's move on to our Pegs' prediction segment, uh, where I predict and you predict uh, the Tuesday's game. So we only have one game on on top for Tuesday. That's game two of the Tampa Bay Lightning and New York Islanders series. Uh, And, you know, depending, you know, game one is happening in half an hour. So depending on game one, but for game two, it's going to be in Tampa Bay. I'm expecting the New York Islanders to take game two.
1: Yeah, you know, I'll bounce off of today's game. I think, you know, game one in Tampa, uh, I, I say the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, they're on a roll right now and they win this game one. However, you know, after losing game one, this this Islanders team, you know, knows how important it is to win that game two and not be down 2-0 heading back to, you know, heading back to New York. And I think, yeah, I agree with you. And the Islanders are going to take the game on Tuesday. Well,
0: I'd like to thank again, Nolan Tho, for joining me on another edition of Down to the Wire.
1: It's always a pleasure,
0: Pags.